Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. Well, happy Father's Day to all of you. Um, I thought that was a great video of stuff dads never say, right? Um, but uh, we just want to uh, recognize and say happy Father's Day to all of our fathers and fathers-to-be here before very much longer. Um, but I want to take a little bit of time this morning to also focus on our Heavenly Father and the work that He has done for us. And so I've wrestled with uh, what to share. We are going to continue discovering uh, what a refuge of grace is. So uh, I actually went back because I couldn't remember how long we've been talking about grace, and it was actually the Sunday after Easter. Um, We've been wrestling with and walking through, what does a refuge of grace look like? We believe that God has called Whitechapel Church to be a refuge of grace. So then that makes us grace people in relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so we're going to continue exploring that and what it actually looks like this morning. I want to ask you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to eventually get to Galatians chapter 3, but before we begin, I'm going to read to you a passage from the book of uh, Exodus chapter 6. So if you'll turn to Galatians chapter 3, I'm going to read a passage from uh, Exodus chapter 6. So to give you a little bit of background on this, um, we, if, if you've been, if you've read through the Bible, you know the story of Moses, the significance of what Moses did, and how God strategically placed him so that he could use him in a huge way. And before we dive into Moses, I want to remind you that God has also strategically placed you so that he can also use you. So this wasn't just what we're going to read. It's not just about Moses. It's just not about Paul writing to um, the early church, but it's a work that God is actually doing. And so throughout these passages that we read today, it's important before we dive in to see how God uses his people and the work that God does in them so that he can then use each one of them. Today is also June 19th. It's a special day, uh, not because Melissa and I went on our first date this day 19 years ago, which those were the first words that she reminded me of when I woke up this morning. And then she said, but you remember that, right? Well, what are you supposed to say in that moment? No, I did not remember that, but she reminded me, so I do remember that. But June 19th is a special day because it is also the day that we celebrate the first proclamation that went out when the slaves were set free here in the United States of America. Thank God that that is part of our history that is in our past, that we no longer have slaves in this country because they have been set free. But I want to read to you another passage of Scripture about some slaves in the Scripture that were our spiritual ancestors. So at this point, God has strategically placed Moses And then in that strategic placement of Moses, it was to use him 
of what we'll read about here in Exodus chapter 6. Stay in Galatians 3, though. We're going we're to get there. Let me read this passage to you. The Lord said to Moses, Now you will see that what I'm about to do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he'll let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he'll drive them out of the country. The Lord comes to Moses and says, I know that your people, God's people, are in bondage of slavery. But he speaks to Moses and says, I'm going to use you in a special way, Moses. I've strategically placed you, Moses, so that you can proclaim the works that I'm about to do and then lead my people out of the bondage of slavery. Verse 2 of Exodus 6, God also said to Moses, I'm the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name is the Lord. I did not make myself known to them fully. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I've remembered my covenant. Therefore, listen, say to the Israelites, I'm the Lord, and I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the bondage of slavery of the Egyptians. I'll free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with my mighty acts of judgment. I'll take you to be my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the bondage of slavery of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore and uplifted and with an uplifted hand to give to Abram, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give you as a possession. I am the Lord. And so, man, what a powerful word to some slaves of God's people that he actually made a covenant and a promise to. God delivered them in miraculous ways. You remember the story of how God led them to the edge of the Red Sea, and there it looked like they were going to be devoured by Pharaoh's armies. But instead, God showed up. He parted the Red Sea. They walked across on dry ground, no mud on their feet. And then uh, Pharaoh's armies were actually swallowed up. And God delivered them in amazing ways. No longer were they making bricks out of mud to build the pyramids. No longer were whips being cracked over their backs and they were beaten to do the day and night's long work. No longer were they bound in chains any longer. They had been set free because of the acts of God and they rested in this freedom that God had given to them because they were no longer free for one page in the Bible. They rested in freedom for one page. We finally get to Exodus chapter 15. They've been delivered and they've been set free. And then we get to Exodus chapter 16. And you know what happens? They're grumbling and they're begging Moses, please let us go back under the bondage of slavery of Pharaoh. They were free people. They were able to do whatever they wanted to do. They saw the Red Sea parted with their own eyes. They walked across on dry ground, and then it's the sea swallowed up Pharaoh's armies. They saw it, and they were begging to go back into slavery. You know what Moses said? You foolish people, who is it that has bewitched you? You see that this is from Galatians chapter 3. It's not Moses' words. These are Paul's words 
And Paul is writing to the early church who had the same problem with slavery that the ancient ancestors did that Moses led out of slavery. Paul is writing to a group of people who are begging to go back into the bondage instead of being set free from being set free and living in God's fullness of grace. Now, at this time, Paul in Galatians 3 is not writing to a group of people that were delivered from Pharaoh, but instead they were delivered from the bondage of their own sins. Jesus came and he died on the cross and lived for just over three decades here. He died on the cross to set these people free that Paul is writing to. And then the miracle of walking out of a sealed tomb. And then they saw him actually ascend into the heavens. And then the powerful moment that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and filled the upper room. This time, Paul is not talking, or God is not using Moses, but instead he's using Paul to make sure that people understand that they have been set free from the bondage of sin and they are no longer slaves. And you know how long it lasted? It lasted from Peter's sermon where tons of people gave their life to Christ until you get to about Acts chapter 15. And then in Acts chapter 15, they went from preaching the grace of Jesus, setting them free from the bondage of slavery, to now it's grace plus this, or grace plus that. Listen, in a refuge of grace, it is not a refuge of grace plus anything. It is simply a refuge of grace because God is the giver of grace and we are simply the receivers. The story that we have to, or the, um, um, the image that we have to pick out of these two stories that have been preserved for us in the scripture is a group of people who were set free, but yet after a period of time, they were begging to go back into slavery. They were begging. It has to be something else for us. Here in Galatians chapter 3, Paul is pointing out that they're trying to add to what Jesus Jesus has actually done for them. That Jesus has actually set them free. And here Paul says, it's not Jesus plus anything. It is simply the work that Jesus did for you because he is a good father. And a good father would never say, I'm going to do something for you and then demand something back in return. It is simply, I'm giving you a gift. Now walk in the fullness of that gift. Now some people would say, That then once you receive God's grace, it's over and it's finished. And absolutely right. That is the truth. However, because we receive a gift, it should be the fuel inside of us to spur us to share the gift with other people. As Pastor Morgan pointed out last Sunday in a powerful way, in a message to us here in this refuge of grace. You do not simply receive God's gift of grace and then sit down and do nothing. But instead you receive that gift and it stirs up inside of you what God has done in you so that he can use you in the strategic places that he has actually placed you in. 
This is what's happened in Moses' life. As God gave Moses a word and then said, Now Moses, because I'm in relationship with you and you are my child, I'm going to use you in a powerful way. He says to Paul, Paul, you're in relationship with me. Paul received grace, and so it was a little different relationship. Paul, like us, received the grace, and because of that grace, it spurred him to allow God to use him in the strategic places where God had actually placed the apostle Paul. We, though, sometimes view grace as a rowboat from heaven, and Jesus is the one that is rowing the rowboat, and every once in a while... The enemy comes and plants doubts in our mind, and we think, when we don't understand the fullness of God's grace, that we have to grab an oar and help Jesus out in rowing this rowboat from heaven. You don't have to row in the rowboat of grace. Jesus is the one who is empowering the rowboat of grace And whenever we decide that we have to help row in the rowboat, it always leads to spiritual exhaustion. And that's where some of us actually live our lives. Spiritual exhaustion. Listen, in a refuge of grace, there should never be spiritual exhaustion. And in those moments where we become spiritually exhausted, it's us actually rowing the rowboat, trying to help God out. I grew up in a little town, not a lot different, you've heard me talk about it, not a lot different than Mayberry. My grandpa was Andy Griffith, and in this little town in southeast Missouri, um, at some point, I was probably six, seven-ish years old, and we did not have a Boy Scout troop. And a guy, his name was Terry Hawkins, uh, decided that he was going to start a Boy Scout troop for us. So we gathered together at the community center. Uh, We met there, and there was probably 10, 12 of us boys in town. And we decided that we were going to pay our dues. We paid our dues. We got our little books, and uh, we started in this Boy Scout troop. For us in the Boy Scout troop, it wasn't camping trips, and it wasn't this, that, or the other. It was all about our sash. If you were a Boy Scout, you knew you had a nice tan sash. And then on that sash, you actually got your different merit badges. And so our Boy Scout troop was all about earning our merit badges. We sure remembered all of the stuff that we had to do. We did our Scouts Honor. We did all of that stuff. We knew all of those things. But everything inside of me was, I want a merit badge. What do I have to do for the next marriage badge? I I would skip to the next book. I would read the requirements. And I would do everything I could so that I could earn those merit badges as fast as I could. And then, about nine or ten years old, we started this program in the church called Jet Cadets. Jet Cadets for Jesus is what we were. And in our Jet Cadets program, we met on Wednesday nights, we we also had a sash. And this was amazing to me. Because a part of the Jet Cadets program was also earning all of these merit badges. And my goal in the Boy Scouts was to get as many merit badges as fast as I could. My goal in Jet Cadets for Jesus on Wednesday night at church in the First Church of God of Lilburn, Missouri was to fill up my badge, my sash, with every merit badge. I would memorize scripture. I would bring a friend to church. I would do all of the things that I had to do to get merit badges as fast as I could. 
There was a boy, his, actually, his name is actually George Christensen. He's from Portland, Oregon. And a few years ago, he turned 15 years old. I read about him, and I saved this, because this is the kid that I actually wanted to be. Look at those sashes. By age 15, he earned every single merit badge that the Boy Scouts had actually offered. After a year, maybe a year, I gave up on earning all of the sashes, all of the merit badges in the Boy Scouts in Lowburn, Missouri. But you know what? This is how some of us treat our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's become more and more about merit badges. And it's, God, what can I do to help you row in the rowboat of grace from heaven? What can I do to help you so that I can have a merit badge? And then I can go on and I can get the next merit badge. And then I get the next marriage badge, the next merit badge. And it just goes on and on and on and on and on. We think that we have to work hard. We think that we have to earn more. We think that we have to have this type of accomplishment. And this accomplishment brings recognition. This recognition brings applause. And the enemy puts us in this rat race of over and over and over and over of trying to earn grace-filled merit badges on a sash that we think is going to have some type of value you whenever we stand before the throne of God. But let me ask you a question. How good is good enough? Think about this for just a minute. For God, how good is good enough? How many merit badges do you have to earn to be good enough for God? Let's say, let's say in this rat race of good enough that you have to read your Bible five times a day. But what if you only read your Bible four times a day? What if in this rat race of good enough, you're supposed to tithe 10%, but you make a miscalculation and you tithe 9.5%? Let's say that out of a year, you're supposed to go to church 50 Sundays a year to be good enough. But something happens and you get sick and you only make it 49 times. How good is good enough? How good is good enough for God? Listen, Paul would tell us that he met every single uh, checkbox that needed to be checked off. He was more than good enough that Paul would tell us that he, that in who he was. But he also reminded us that because of grace, none of that mattered. And he counted that as rubbish, as trash, as total garbage. Because the enemy wants us to believe that we have to be good enough and help God rowing in this rowboat from heaven. But Paul is saying to the Galatian church here is you will never be good enough. It was only the grace of God that enabled us to have any type of good in us at all. No one can ever answer the question, how good is good enough? Because there's always somebody that is, if you will, gooder than the good enough. And we get in this rat race, this trap, this lure from the enemy is I take one step and now I have to take another step and now I have to take another step. I've earned this badge. I've earned this badge and now I have to earn this badge and now I have to earn this badge. And after about a year of me being in the Boy Scouts, I was tired of chasing this merit badge rat race that I was on because all it was doing was causing frustration. And some of us have frustration in our relationship with God and we 
we can't figure out that we're being tempted and we're being baited by the enemy to try to be good enough. And I say to us in a refuge of grace, stop trying and simply receive the free gift of grace that God has given to us. Whenever we stand before the throne of God, merit badges and trophies have no value whatsoever. The only question that you will be asked is, are you a child of God in a grace-received relationship with the Father? Listen, a good father, a good father only gives with no expectation back. This is the gift of grace. And this is who God desires for us to be. The answer for us is found by the writer of Hebrews. Hebrews 13 verse 9 says, Do not let all kinds of strange teaching lead you the wrong way. Your hearts should be strengthened, what? By God's grace, not by obeying rules. You see, in the rules game, there's always another rule. But in the grace game, Jesus said, it is finished. And this is the gift of grace for us. You know, another problem with trying to be good enough is it doesn't lead to more faith. It doesn't lead to more faith. It leads to more actions. And we have to be faith people because we receive God's gift in faith. Instead, instead, the enemy says, hey, Keep working, and that's going to help you build your faith. Keep earning spiritual merit badges, and that's going to make you a better Christian. But Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, that's not the case. If you'll follow along as I read starting at verse 10. Paul is pointing out how flawed the Galatian believers have finally gotten to. He says, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteousness will live by faith. So do you catch here what Paul is saying? You can live under a bunch of rules if you want to. You can try to do that, but it doesn't build your faith. And it doesn't push you any closer to being Christ-like. And then the writer of Hebrews says, your hearts have to be strengthened by grace, not by obeying the rules. This is from the NCV. If you read it in the NIV, uh, the translation is actually about um, some sacred meat that they have set aside. But there was all of these rules around this sacred meat. It had to be handled this way. It could only be done. There were all of these rules And so the point here of this verse is not the rules or the meat. Instead, it is about the work that God did in the grace that he's actually given to us. And that's what Paul is pointing out here to the Galatian believers. He goes on in verse 12. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith 
we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is God's ideal for us. It's not mankind's ideal. This is a father saying, I have people that are trying to earn their way to me, and they will never be able to do it. So our father said, I have to come and I have to set them free. He did it and we read about it in Exodus where they were set free from slavery. We've read about it here in the New Testament and we see how we as a part of this side of the cross have entered into this grace relationship and we have been set free as slaves of sin and we are completely free as God's grace people. We're not building the mud bricks and the pyramids of slavery any longer. We're not working to earn spiritual merit badges. We are simply living in this grace relationship, and we contribute nothing, and he contributed, he, um, he gave everything for all of us. There's no slavery in this. There is no bondage in this. There is no performance in this. But instead, we are simply saved by grace. And in Ephesians 2, Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved. Through what? Through faith. We just read Paul said, You cannot, through observing and walking in the law, build your faith. The way that you build your faith is through a grace relationship. Paul goes on to say, And this is not from yourselves, our works. It is the gift of God. A good Father has given us His grace. You will never arrive at the destination where you want to get if you are trying to get there on your own. But instead, if you stop and walk in His grace, you will always get to the destination of living in the freedom of this relationship that God desires for us to have. God wants us to live in His rest of grace. But the enemy wants us to do, just do. We're constantly doing. We're constantly working. We're constantly doing this. We're constantly doing that. We have to be this. We have to try to be this. We have to work here. And we're singing the song of do and be and do and be and do and be and do. And all of this just keeps weighing heavier and heavier and heavier on us. And it is weighing us down because it is not living in the freedom of grace. So what we have to do is exchange our works with God. In Matthew 12, Jesus' words here. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Where do you find rest? It's not in earning spiritual merit badges. Where do you find rest? It's not in working harder for the Lord. You find rest only in grace. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. Stop chasing and stop doing and stop trying to be something and just stop rowing on the rowboat and let him do that. He said, all of you who are weary and burdened and then there alone will you find rest. God desires for us to walk and live and the rest that can only be found in his grace. Several years ago, you may remember the story of some 33 
Chilean miners that were trapped in the ground. They spent two months, just over 60 days, trapped in the ground, some 2,000 feet below solid rock. They couldn't, they tried all kinds of efforts. They could not get the men up out of the ground. They lived every day for six, over, over 60 days. Every day, each man had two spoonfuls of tuna and only a sip of milk and a small morsel of peach. The Chilean rescue team had worked hard to get these men up out of the ground so that they would be able to survive and actually live. It failed, and efforts from around the world came in to help the country of Chile try to rescue these miners. NASA teamed up and actually created a capsule so that they could drill into the ground and be able to rescue these men. The first steps in this was to drill a hole just over 2,000 feet into the ground so that the men were able to receive fresh oxygen to sustain them. NASA designed this capsule that was 13 feet tall so that they could lift them up out of the ground. There was no guarantee of success, though. There was a rescue effort underway that had never been done before in the world. And on October 13th, 2010, the first miner was actually rescued. Here is a video of the first miner actually coming up on this capsule. This little boy's dad is the first miner to come up out of the ground. Trapped, no food, nothing under the ground. And here he actually comes up and the cheers break out as the first miner of the 33 is actually rescued. This was carried on all of the news channels overnight. I remember watching it and setting up, watching in the wee hours of the morning as these miners were actually brought up out of the ground. Very, very slow process to bring them over 2,000 feet up out of the ground. Here they open the door and the first miner walks out. And they give hugs, and they actually rejoice. There was a grandfather. There was a 44-year-old man, a man, a 19-year-old. And they kept going and kept going till every one of the miners were pulled out of the ground. But you know the mindset that the miners actually had? They finally came to the point to where they said, our efforts will never get us out of this ground. It doesn't matter how hard we work. It doesn't matter if we try to conserve electricity, if we try to conserve our food. It doesn't matter if we work in shifts. It doesn't matter what we do. We're trapped and there is no way out. They did not say, these miners did not say, let us keep chiseling until we hopefully find a way. They did not say, we're going to get out of here on our own. They did not say, give me a drill. And they did not say, give me a, a chisel. Instead, they all said, we need help and we need rescued. And you know what they did? They waited until the rescue capsule came to take them out of where they were at. 
And this is the work that Jesus did for us in grace. There's no way out. There is no way out for us. It doesn't matter the spiritual merit badges that you have. It doesn't matter all that you've done for the church or done for God. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is Jesus, our rescue capsule, has come to us to give us his grace. And our choice is to stop and ride in Jesus in that grace-filled rescue capsule or to continue trying to get ourselves out of our messes. Grace is the only way out. There's no way out for us. It is only grace. And so some of us this morning just need this simple reminder that we don't have to work for our spiritual merit badges. It's all about Jesus, and we boast only in him. For some of us, that's all we need is that simple reminder. For others of us, we may have never received that grace. We may have been trying on our own to get ourselves out of our messes, to get ourselves out of stuff. We may have been working and we may have been forging along and we may have been thinking, okay, I'm doing a pretty good job. But here's the truth. You, like the Chilean miners, are trapped and you will never get yourself out. You need a rescue capsule to come and get you, and Jesus did that work. And so today, we simply need to lay our tools, our earthly tools down, and say, God, I've been trying on my own, and so this morning, I'm not going to try any longer. I'm simply going to receive the grace that you have given to us. So you may not have walked in relationship with Jesus, but today is the day to come. Today is the day to surrender. Today is the day to lay down those earthly tools and say, I'm not going to work anymore. I'm simply going to receive your grace. I'm simply going to walk in your grace that you have actually given to me. I'm going to exchange my burden with you this morning. I'm not going to walk under the law. I'm not going to walk under my works. I'm not going to walk under the things that I have attempted. Instead, I am going to walk in your grace and in your grace alone. But the reminder for all of us, the reminder for all of us this morning, is within a five-mile radius of us, there's over 70,000 people, 70,000 people who do not know Jesus and have never received his grace. Let me tell you, this breaks the heart of our good father. And we can't gather in here on Sunday morning and celebrate his grace and talk about his grace And then the other six days of the week, forget about that grace and go about our lives. Listen, in a refuge of grace, in people who have received our our, our, our rescue capsule of God's grace and have lived in that relationship, who have been set free from the bondage and slavery of sin, that has to spur us forward so that we then try to figure out through God's wisdom that he's given to us, who is it that I can tell about the grace of God in the way that God used Moses to lead other people out of slavery, in the way that God is using Paul in Galatians 3 to lead a group of people who've experienced grace but gone back into bondage out of the slavery of works, 
God wants to use us in this refuge of grace to get grace outside of these walls and into the neighborhoods, in the communities, in the people that you encounter every single day so that their lives can be changed by grace and they can set their merit badge sash down and they can walk in the refuge capsule of the grace of Jesus Christ. God's plan was Jesus Christ. After God's plan, on the day of Pentecost, the work shifted. The work shifted into the people so that we then become the temple, the vessel of grace that God uses right where he's planted us to radically change the world. And it started with 12 men. And 12 men almost 2,000 years ago, in 10 years we'll celebrate, In 10 years, we will celebrate 2,000 years of the launch of the church. And what are we going to do in these next 10 years? Are we going to sit here and build merit badges? Or are we going to take the grace that God has given to us so freely to those that are around us? This must be at the forefront of a refuge of grace. So I ask you this morning, where has God planted you? That needs grace. Think about the family where God has placed you in. I know for some of us, families frustrate us. And I know that there are some people that you're just like, oh man, family's hard. You know why family's hard? Because God has given you his trust and placed you, placed you with his grace right where he wants you in the family that he's placed you in. God says he's knit us together in our mother's womb. And so God strategically placed you there in that family for a reason. Some of you think, man, I can't wait till I'm able to get out of this job. Why don't we instead step back and say, God, there are some people in my job that are around me every day that need your grace. So let me be your grace bearer in this job so their lives would be radically changed by your grace. Some of you may not like your neighbors. Some of you may think, man, I don't know why I'm in this neighborhood. I've got to get out of this neighborhood. I've got to find somewhere else to live. You know why God placed you in that neighborhood? So that you could take his grace to your neighbors right around you. Listen, these are the people every day we interact with that need the rescue capsule of God's grace in their lives. And so the question for us is where around us needs more grace. Where around you needs more grace. Because this is the answer for this refuge of grace. We're not grace hoarders. We're not going to gather up all the grace inside of these walls and get here for an hour, an hour and a half on Sunday morning and celebrate, celebrate God's grace and then go live the whole rest of the week forgetting about the grace that we've received from God. We have to get grace outside of these walls. And there's over 70,000 people immediately around this building that need that grace. And the answer, the answer is you. So I ask you this morning, would you commit to that? If you've not received God's grace, you have to first commit to that. Otherwise, it just simply becomes a, a spiritual merit badge that you're just trying to fill up 
by doing and doing and being and being. That's not the race that God wants you in. If you've not received God's grace, today receive God's grace. But if you have received God's grace, it's not about the work. It's about the grace. And we're set free from the work, but it is the work of God that he's done in us that leads us to work in his vineyard. And so today I'm asking you to commit to asking God the question, where around me needs more grace? And then say, God, use me. Use me. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.